Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Esther Israel from the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. Today we'll be learning Yevamot Kuf Dalid 104. The Mishnah which is printed at the bottom of Kuf Dalid Amud Aleph 104a through the first part of the second side, Kuf Dalid Amud Bet, is what appears in the standard Mishnah texts as both Mishnah Gima and Dalid the third and fourth Mishnah of chapter 12. The first part of this Mishnah, which is the Mishnah Gimel part, asks which of the elements of the Chalitza ceremony are necessary conditions for the validity of the Chalitza to be established. And it names these elements. The Yavama's removal of her brother's sh- brother-in-law's shoe, the spitting, her reciting of the lines that the Torah states for the ceremony. Now there's a consensus in the Mishnah that for it to be chalitza, there has to be chalitza, removal of the shoe. Obviously, that's what chalitza means. And that is the first of the elements. Regarding the element of the spitting, there's a machloket. One says that it is essential, another one says that without it, the chalitza could be valid anyway. But there's again consensus that if the woman did not recite her lines, but did perform the actions, the chalitza will be valid, kosher. In the seifa, the latter part of the Mishnah, which is the Mishnah Dalit part, we then have the following halacha. Hacheresh shenechalatz, vahachereshet shechalitza, etc. Chalitzata psula. Or in English, in the case of the deaf mute who had his shoe removed in the chalitza ceremony, of course, and or a deaf-mute woman who removed the man's shoe, this chalitza is invalid. <clears throat> In the Gemara, Rava points out that the Resha of the Mishnah sees the recitation of her lines as a non-necessary component for the validity of the ceremony. It is not a necessary condition. It would follow from this that a mute man or mute woman's participation in chalitza would not be a problem, even without the reading, which should have been there lechatchila, the chalitza would still be valid. This seems to contradict the second part of the Mishnah, with its laws about the chershim, the deaf mutes, who cannot perform chalitza. Can you see it? The connection between cheresh and ilem. In the medical dictionary of its time, in other words, the days of the Mishnah and the Gemara, your run-of-the-mill cheresh was a cheresh ilem. In other words, not just deaf, but deaf-mute, because of the obstacles for teaching somebody who cannot hear. Therefore, saying that a mute can perform chalitza seems to contradict the next statement that a deaf, who's really a deaf-mute, cannot. However, 
we only really need to see this as a contradiction under an assumption that what invalidates the deaf-mute and the mute's participation in the chalitza is there not being what the Gemara calls b'nei kriya. They're not being capable of reading the text aloud or reciting the psukim they need to recite. The impediment that the deaf-mute and the mute share is the inability to speak. The Gemara does away with this perceived contradiction between allowing an ilem's chalitza yet prohibiting a cheresh's chalitza by pointing out a distinction between the cheresh and ilem, explaining that the cheresh's not being able to participate in the chalitza ceremony is different. It's not because he can't speak. Rather, it's because the cheresh is not perceived to be a ben da'at. The cheresh is not capable of intelligent, rational thinking, whereas an ilem, a mute, is. Muteness, by this understanding, is a purely physical problem, whereas deafness would have seemed to indicate a mental state or a problem. If the reason for which a cheresh cannot perform a chalitza is his assumed lack of understanding, this does not pertain to the ilem and should not stand in the way of chalitza of one or more mute participants. The halakha usually does make a distinction between a mute person and a deaf-mute, whose mental capacities were questionable, and understandably so, in a world without hearing aids. With lots of questions, in what concepts or symbols or terms could thinking possibly take place for people with no language concepts? How do we, the hearing people, the speaking people, know if these people think? How can we know what they understand of what we say or hint to them? If the Cheresh cannot hear us, what can he possibly understand of our communication, especially on more sophisticated levels? This the Cheresh cannot tell us. If he cannot tell us, we cannot count on his understanding for legal purposes. Chalitza is an example of a legal purpose. All of this up till now apparently would lead to understanding that an ilem could do chalitza, whereas a cheresh, cheresh ilem, a deaf mute, would not be able to. The end of the sugiya, however, does not follow the conclusion up through here. Instead, it rules like Rabbi Zera, who appears at the end of that Amud, that even though the Mishnah stated that not reciting the Psukim would not invalidate the Chalitza ceremony, still one who can never recite anything, somebody who's not somehow part of the speaking community, cannot be included in those who can be part of the Chalitza ceremony. A mute, even though he is a hearing man, cannot release his yavama. A mute yavama cannot be free to marry whomever she likes. This is the direction that later halacha takes to. As time change, however, and the possibilities for communication are broadened, poskim need and needed to ask themselves to what extent do people who are deaf, for instance, 
or disabled in other ways still fit into the category of what that type of handicap implied many years ago? Where do we revise their legal status in light of the changes that have occurred in their possible level of functioning and communication? This would be akin to changes in the halachic status of women in the wake of women's changing legal and social statuses in the general society. The P.S. that I would like to add here is that both the status of deaf-mute and of the mute have been revised in a variety of places and legal contexts within the Gemara itself and from there forward. In the 20th century, at least three Chuvot were published recognizing a mute and even deaf-mute who can communicate as essentially different from those under discussion in the Gemara and therefore permitting them to perform chalitza through alternative modes of communication or even spoken by a deaf person, even if the diction is less than perfect. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.